Is it acceptable to go to Mickey D's just for a drink? <laughs> of course it is. But good luck leaving with just a drink. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. And right now, a small Minute Maid slushie is just $1.59. So all you have to do is choose a flavor, like the tropical mango or strawberry watermelon, and enjoy like it's meant to be enjoyed. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. I'm usually on a quest for trying to find that perfect balance between light, timing, and composition. If You can have a perfectly timed shot, but if the lighting is lousy, it's not a great shot. You can have some great lighting, but if you didn't compose it well. So I, I feel like those three elements have to be in balance. Hello, beautiful people. This is Rajiv, and you're listening to Photo Country. This is the show where we talk to image makers who are making a difference here in New Zealand and around the world. If it's one thing I love, it is talking about photography. Today we are featuring an interview that I did with an artist who straddles both music as well as photography. He is one of the most prominent Instagrammers in Los Angeles. His handle is Dazed and Confused. Interestingly, he is an iPhone-only photographer and he has a very gritty monochrome street photography style. He is none other than David Ingraham. It was great talking to him. So, thanks for coming on the podcast, David. Uh, so kind of you. Thanks for having me. So, is it uh, safe to travel now? I mean, how is it? Has things opened up? That's a good question. They, they have finally. So, I'm, I actually play music professionally. That's what I do to pay the bills. The photography supplements the income, but it's pretty much been a, a glorified hobby for me all these years. So, after a year and a half of the music business being completely shut down, I mean, no live music whatsoever, things are finally starting to open. But now, with this whole Delta variant, we're starting to question that again. Because here in LA, there we were finally, if you were vaccinated, you didn't have to wear a mask. And now they're having us wear masks in, in indoors again. So is that going to affect our upcoming California shows? We're, we're, we've yet to f- find that out. But the parts of the country we were touring in, everything was wide open. So, so but how was it during lockdown? I mean, it must have affected the livelihoods of a lot of performing musicians. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not just musicians, but everybody in the industry, booking agents, sound men, li- literally everybody. So fortunately, my band members and I got on unemployment early on. So, I mean, I've literally just been living off of unemployment for a year and a half. That is officially dried up. So back to reality, back to actually having to work for a living. But um, <laughs> And I'd, I'd be lying if I said it hadn't been kind of nice because this band has been going nonstop for over 20 years, or I've been with it for over 20 years, just touring relentlessly. So this was actually like a paid vacation <laughs> for me. I don't want to speak positively about something involving the death of thousands of people worldwide, but I'd be lying if I said there there weren't certain aspects of it that had been good. But you can only sit around for so long, so it's actually great to be out playing live music again. Audiences are really enthusiastic and hungry for live music now, so that's been the big payoff. You know? I mean, the behaviors of people have changed dramatically and drastically due to the pandemic, due to the lockdown. How has it affected you? I mean, did you have time to ponder over things, uh, reflect? How did it affect you? Well, 
That's a good question. I live alone. I'm a bit of a loner. So yes, there's a lot of time spent alone, which inevitably means a lot of deep thought. And I don't want to dwell on it, but I actually, my mom got really sick and passed last year. So it gave me time to actually grieve without having to work while grieving. You know, had I had to go through that while touring, that would have been really difficult. But interestingly enough, photographically, I, I found myself stepping back. I've relied largely on the metro here in L.A for my photography because as anyone who's been here knows it's such an overwhelmingly huge metropolis that the idea of just hopping in your car and driving somewhere to to photograph for the day you you have to really know where you're going and do it at a time where you're not going to get stuck in traffic for hours so for for over a decade i was just driving to the local metro hopping on and i I'd just pick a stop each day and just say i'm gonna explore this specific part of la that was actually very helpful for me to wrap my head around what would otherwise be a very overwhelmingly overwhelming endeavor but i when the pandemic hit i'm like okay the last place i'm gonna be is on a public transportation on, a, on the metro <laughs> during a raging pandemic so i was like okay i'm not going anywhere near that so i actually for about a year and a half i've been barely photographing at all and that's for for something that i had been so so engaged in and so invested in for so long to just step away for, from it for that long just like the music just like i had with the music was it, it gave me time to reflect and come up for air and think about what i want to do next with it but it, it's also been kind of disconcerting because i feel very detached from my photography for the first time in a long time so i'm eager to dive back in and hopefully get that hunger back so did photography come first or the music came first actually the photography came first as far as just the act of photographing i i think i got my first kodak pocket instamatic maybe i was nine or ten and was just photographing for the fun of it it wasn't until i think freshman year in high school that i, I started playing drums and got in a band but then i pursued the music first and somewhere around my mid-30s i started to take photography more seriously on the side i took a darkroom class at ucla I, i built a darkroom at home this was during a time when the digital revolution was all, already kicking in so i was working in the darkroom shooting with film but i was also shooting digitally and teaching myself photoshop but once again this was more just like a passion something i was infatuated with so it was a way of me instead of everything just being music 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 when i'd get off the road i, I didn't even want to think about drumming and photography gave me a creative outlet you know, another way of expressing myself. It wasn't until my mid-40s, I think, when I got my first iPhone, and that's when I became obsessed. For the first time ever, I had a camera that was travel-friendly. I could have it on me at all times. I could shoot, process, and post all from the palm of my hand. We're already so used to our smartphones. We're spoiled. The thrill is gone, or the nostalgia of it, or novelty, I should say, but back then, it was this revolutionary <laughs> discovery for me. So I got my first iPhone, I think in 2010, and I became obsessed. That was when Instagram was still new. So it was a smaller community. So you could really connect with like-minded mobile photographers, people who were equally obsessed. And so I really got sucked into it at the right time because this was when the mobile photography movement was just really taking off. So I started discovering photographers like Kochi Hernandez who were doing very much the sort of thing I wanted to do, but just doing it way better. I'd been struggling 
all through my 30s, even into my 40s, I'd been shooting everything and anything, a little bit of landscape photography, portraiture, intentional camera movement sort of experimentation. I was doing long exposure night photography, literally trying everything, but I was all over the map. I hadn't found my thing yet. I didn't have a style yet. So it was, interestingly enough, it took getting my first iPhone and then discovering some other people using it as a street camera on Instagram. That's when the light bulb really went off. And I thought that's, that's when I was able to sort of condense my approach and style. And, and I, at one point I finally said, I'm just going to shoot in black and white for the sake of stylistic consistency. And I'm going to shoot mainly street photography and I'm going to use nothing but my iPhone. And, and when I was able to zero in on that and, it, it allowed me to basically shove aside all the other distractions and really get a more concentrated style. And it was only then that I started to do what I considered relatively consistently good work within a recognizable style. So like I say, I'm, I'm 56 now. I was about 45 then. So if that's not a late bloomer, I don't know <laughs> that long to find my way. So I think that's not necessarily uncommon, but I don't think it's common either. <laughs> this particular style that you have, this really dark monochromatic look to your images. Mm -hmm. So how did that come about? Was it like a slow evolution or was it one fine day you clicked something here, did something here, you liked the look of it and then boom. Or was it um, like, did you follow somebody's work which influenced it, you? It's kind of a lot, all of the above, really. There was a time when I was shooting both color and black and white. Personally, I think it's important to eventually decide I'm going to be a black and white photographer or color. It's not that you can't be shooting in both, but... You know, you take any big name photographer, whether it's Alex Webb, he's shot in black and white before, but he'll always be remembered or thought of as a color photographer. You take someone like Mary Ellen Mark, she will be remembered as a black and white photographer, even though she's done color work. So I, I, I think it's really important identity wise to eventually decide on one or the other. So that was part of it. But I found that I, I worked better with black and white. I work better with tones than I do with color. And my grandmother was a really talented etcher. And so all her work was in black and white. And I know that had a big influence on me as a kid. I guess the work that was really exciting me the most was black and white. Photographers shooting mainly in black and white. Whether it was Joseph Kudelka or W. Eugene Smith, I could go down a long list. So I, I just found myself drawn to that, that for numerous reasons. And then I, I just found that I worked better that way. For whatever reason I, I sometimes with color when i'm processing i get a little carried away i don't necessarily know where to what to do with it with, with black and white when i'm just working with tones i just feel that um i'm much better at getting a strong compelling looking image that doesn't necessarily look over overdone or something right right so just stepping back a little bit henry katebrason talks about the decisive moment how do you be in the right place at the right time to catch those frames? Well, first of all, nine out of 10 times, I'm either not in the right place at the right time, or I am and I miss it because <laughs> my <laughs> was off. there's a lot of luck involved. There's certainly there's that comes with years of practice, but so much of it is luck. I can't tell you how many times I got that almost but not quite shot. 
but yeah, there's nothing more thrilling than getting home at the end of a long afternoon. You're searching through just your dozens and dozens of horrible photos and you go, oh, there, I got it. But that doesn't happen nearly often enough. But I'm very much influenced by Cartier-Bresson. Uh, the decisive moment is something I'm frequently in search of and it's something I tell my students is I'm usually on a quest for trying to find that perfect balance between light, timing, and composition. It's, if you can have a perfectly timed shot, but if the lighting is lousy, it's not a great shot. You can have some great lighting, but if you didn't compose it well. So I, I feel like those three elements have to be in balance. So that's when I'm out shooting subconsciously, that's what I'm in search for. What I frequently do is I'll find a location that I feel has potential. Maybe the lighting is really nice, some late afternoon lighting, and there's just enough street traffic to where I feel like something could happen, and I'll just plant myself, and I'll just shoot and shoot and shoot. Sometimes I'll hang out in the same place for half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, and I feel like that, it goes without saying, that raises the odds of getting a good shot. So, and some days I'll head out and I'll have a particular shot in mind. Like sometimes I'll, I'll tell myself, I'm only going to try and capture images with no less than three people in it. Because I've done a lot of the sort of lone individual wandering in the, the vast metropolis type of shot, which gives you more of that sort of lonely, isolated feeling. But those are easy because it's easy to just capture one person, but new element you add to the shot, it becomes more and more challenging. And, and you look at, once again, I bring up Alex Webb. That guy's the master of getting, like, look at like half a dozen things happening in a frame at once. I have no idea how he achieves that. But So that's, sometimes I'll challenge myself like that, but it's very much about the decisive moment as far as trying to just nail down something where everything's falling into place at the right time. That's, like I say, easier said than done. Yeah, and a lot of your photographs, I've seen like really like harsh shadows. Is, is that in intentional? Yes. First of all, shooting in LA, we have very harsh sunlight. Um, right. And when I first moved out here, or when I first started shooting out here, I, I actually struggled with that because it was so high contrast. But eventually I learned to work with it. And then eventually I, I learned to like it. And I kind of used it for my benefit as far as getting very bold contrasty images but generally speaking you know the here in LA anytime from maybe five till sundown you can get some really nice soft light but if, if I'm out shooting at 2 p.m harsh Southern California light that's what I've got to work with so I, I like I said I just eventually decided to embrace it and use it to to create dramatic hopefully dramatic images at least lighting wise and tonally yeah. So favorite places to shoot? Like, is it just LA or is there any other city that you, you really love to shoot? I like to shoot anywhere where the, the light is good. And I, I tend to lean more towards an urban environment. I mean, a good photograph is a good photograph. I don't care where it was shot, but I, I just tend to be more inspired in an urban setting as opposed to a rural setting or whatever. But I loved, I shot downtown LA. Venice Beach, and a few other areas surrounding downtown, like MacArthur Park. I shot those areas, like I said, over a decade. I, those would be my main spots. I just hit them regularly, and I, I left no stone unturned. A few years ago, I finally hit a wall. I, I, I reached a point where I had shot downtown so much that I couldn't see it with fresh eyes anymore. 
Like every corner I'd turn, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's where I shot that one shot. And I'd turn another corner. <laughs> that's where I shot. I couldn't see it in a new way anymore. So that's another reason I stepped away for a while. And I put out a book of my work in 2018 called Lonesome City. And that was the culmination of that chapter. But I've kind of hit a wall with LA. That's a little disappointing because I live here. So I want to be able to keep shooting it, but I've got to start discovering some new locations. As far as the rest of the world, I've shot Ireland a lot just because I've been there a lot. Any big city is inspiring for me, really. And your style, has it evolved? Has it changed a little bit? How do you perceive it? Do you see it changing in the future? What's your thought on that? Everything fell into place, like I said, when I was able to simplify matters. Once I found that style, it pretty much stayed consistent up till now. And then, of course, the challenge is once you've found a style, you don't want to just walk away from it. You spend all that time developing it, and it becomes a recognizable style, hopefully. The, the idea of, okay, I'm just going to just abandon that and just start shooting in color and do landscape or whatever. I feel like I'm sabotaging myself by doing that. You know what I mean? So that that's the great challenge for me. Like, how do you evolve as an artist and not just keep repeating yourself right. without trying to reinvent yourself every decade? <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I'm, I, I don't really have an answer for you as far as where my style's headed. Yeah. Because I, I really put a lot of time into trying to keep it consistent for a long time. So Yeah, because why I'm asking you is sometimes we feel trapped by the style that we adopted. So sometimes and you keep doing it for a long time, you get recognized and you're forced to continue it because people know you as that Absolutely. It, it's a the trap is a perfect word and that you can apply that to music bands do the same thing they put out x amount of records and they get that recognizable sound and then if they stray from that they end up losing a lot of fans of course they may gain some new ones but i think that's important i mean bob dylan with his electric phase you know even like i was thinking the other day mumford and sons you know they came out as that like acoustic folk thing but they by their third record they just milked that so by their fourth record they went electric i believe it was their fourth record which i thought was a brilliant record but they got panned for that like loads of fans didn't like it rolling stone wrote a bad review how can people not you know just because they were using electric guitars and drums so i think that was an important decision on their part but they got a lot of flack for it so yeah it's, it's a good question you spend all that time developing a sound and then it's almost like you're forced sound or a look and it's almost yeah. like you have to reach a point where you, you take a different path so who knows maybe i'll start shooting in color or something but the other thing is like i spent all those years sticking with black and white and so my instagram feed is all black and white for the most part so do i want to all of a sudden start throwing color photos up there I, I feel like it throws the consistency off so maybe if i were to start shooting color i'd start a new instagram feed a separate one or something yeah, I think it's the challenge every artist faces, I guess, in any artistic field. And even Instagram, yes, yeah, like a rabbit hole. I mean, if you're forced to choose a palette because that's what people are looking for. Yeah. But if you look at my feed, I'm all over the place. I'm shooting macro, I'm shooting landscape whatever but that's one of the, one of the reasons that if you want more likes then you have to be consistent but then you're shooting for more likes which is insane you should not be doing that i agree and you know instagram is in social media in general it's a blessing and a curse because i have instagram likes i, I won't lie they are important to me but not because uh, of my fragile artist ego or anything it's that i'm, I'm not saying that isn't 
part of the equation. <laughs> but it's largely a, a great way of curating your own work. If you're if you want to put out a book or have a show or something, likes are important because if one image gets, let's say, uh, 2,500 likes or whatever, and another image gets 600, that tells me something. Whether I like it or not, that tells me that image that got less likes, it didn't resonate with people the way the other one did. So I, I have to acknowledge that. So I actually value that because you send that image out into the world. There's obviously there's a vulnerability to it. When I really like an image and it kind of flops, I get bummed out. But, you know, over the years, I've just, ah, it's not a big deal. But I have to accept the fact that, okay, I guess that's not a very good photograph. So, <laughs> so I, I take those likes seriously as far as giving me a good idea of what my stronger images are. Because I figure if one really gets a lot of likes, it's... Like I say, it's resonating with a lot of people around the world. So that tells me. So as, as far as you're creating that look that you have, how much of it is influenced by post-production? Uh, I use mainly Snapseed. Since I was part of that early mobile photography movement, the whole idea as far as it being mobile photography was you, you had to shoot and process with the device. If you were shooting with your, your iPhone, but then processing in Photoshop, that wasn't mobile photography. That was considered like cheating. So I, I started processing with my phone. I actually got to the point where I was better at that just from doing it so much. So I use mainly Snapseed and I use it in a way where I'm trying to, once again, because I'm shooting a lot of urban scenes where the environment is as much a part of the shot as the people. I'm frequently trying to pull out as much texture as possible. You know, I like to give an image a sort of tactile quality. So I try and pull out texture and really make the tonality pop. I try and get the, the brightest highlights without them being blown out, the darkest shadows without them being completely black, and then every thing in between. So that's what I'm striving for, just to make it really tonally rich. Beyond that, I don't give a whole lot of conscious thought to it. I'm just processing something until I reach a point where I like it. And so there's been times where I've done multiple versions where I'll process something and the next day I look at it and I'm like, nah, that's, I, I can do better than that. I'll just go back and reprocess it all over again and eventually end up with something I like. But I never set out to intentionally make really contrasty bold black and white imagery that just happens to be my style and my taste do you apply a lot of textures on it yeah i try and do it subtly because i don't like that to steal the attention from the subject matter or anything but yeah sometimes because the one thing still don't like about digital is it's too perfect shooting with film all those years i, I really fell in love with grain film grain so when the transition from film to digital was happening, I was really resistant, almost strictly because of my love of black and white grain. Black and white digital photography without any grain looks really sterile. And then all, all those years shooting with a Holga, the, I, I grew to really love the imperfection of the image. So yeah, when I'm processing, if the image looks too clear to me, I'll sometimes try and subtly add texture using uh, particular apps. And I'll add grain and Snapseed just to give it a bit more, you know, tactile film look. But like I said, I try and do it subtly. I don't want the texture to be the main thing that someone notices. So we covered some really interesting topics, but finally, just to close it out, what will be your parting words or advice for someone who's just starting out? 
because I read in one of the interviews you said don't please don't do it well obviously I, w- I was at least partially joking there no wh- what I would say and I've mentioned this to other students Alex Webb has a great quote you can find it online I'm terrible I, I can't even paraphrase it well but he said basically if you want to pursue photography you have to do it because you love it if you if your motives aren't right you're not going to be able to withstand the frustration the endless the countless failures involved in the growth of process and if you're doing it just to get likes on Instagram or something you're not going to last you have to be single-mindedly obsessed with it and do it because you love it and then if there's some monetary reward somewhere down the road great if people start noticing and and appreciating your work we all want that but that can't be your motive you have to just be obsessed with it and do it for the love of it and if you do it if you if those are your motives then it's the reward is the photography itself and, and everything else is like icing on the cake that's that would be what i would tell anybody yep i totally agree thanks for that david thanks for your time my pleasure thanks for the interview i'm i'm glad somebody in new zealand knows i thanks david thanks for your time that's all i have for you today folks hope you liked today's show if you want to check out david ingraham's work head over to his website davidingraham.com Don't forget to share this episode with someone you know who likes photography. I had a great time putting this show together and as always keep clicking, stay safe and see you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino was America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18+ plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 